Based upon Genesis 41 to 
all its wise men fooled in his dreams, but then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my faults. I remember my faults today. Once Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody of the, in the house of the captain of the guard. Dream on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its a young Hebrew was there with us, a, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each according to his dream. As he interpreted to us, so it turned out. I was restored to my office, and the, the baker... The baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was hurriedly brought out of the dungeon. When he had shaved himself, changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not I. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh recounts his dream to Joseph, and we pick the storyline up again in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows, they came up after them, are seven years, as are the seven empty Ears blighted by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. After them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. The plenty will no longer be known in the land because of the famine that will follow. For it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about.
As you well know, our passage this morning is a further continuation of the Joseph story. You will recall, and I do beg your indulgence, but you will recall at age 17, Joseph, whether genuinely naive or genuinely antagonistic or perhaps both, Joseph shared with his family two dreams which kindled his brother's hatred and produced his father's censure and led to his being sold into slavery and then purchased by the Egyptian Potiphar. Once within Potiphar's household, Joseph excelled, finding favor in Potiphar's eyes, even as repeatedly we read those words, and the Lord was with Joseph. However, Joseph also found favor in the eyes of Potiphar's wife, which led to his imprisonment. Here, too, the Lord was with Joseph, so that once again he excelled his organizational and or leadership gifts coming to the fore. His resume now read, successfully managed a large Egyptian household and estate, ably supervised and administered personnel within an Egyptian correctional institution, now seeking more fulfilling employment. In the course of his correctional duties, Joseph inquired of and listened to two recently incarcerated detainees, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. Again, as you know, each had a disturbing dream, which Joseph correctly interpreted with the plea to the cupbearer that he not forget Joseph, but might in fact find a way to secure his release. Having obtained his freedom and favor once again with Pharaoh, the cupbearer, however, forgot Joseph, who suffered two more years of forsaken abandonment. But after two years, and now our text this morning, and you know the story, Pharaoh had two disturbing dreams, which his magicians and wise men could not interpret. Perhaps they feared their heads being lifted up. At this moment in our narrative, the cupbearer remembered Joseph, whereby Pharaoh sent for him. As he stood before him, that is, as Joseph stood before Pharaoh, verse 16, essentially Pharaoh asked of Joseph, can you interpret my dreams? To which Joseph answered, and now I will read literally, to which Joseph answered, it is not in me. God will answer Pharaoh peace. God will answer Pharaoh peace. Do you know the Hebrew word for peace? 
Shalom. Oh, yes, you knew that word, didn't you? And now, for those of you who awakened this morning wanting to work on your Hebrew, I know that there were some of you that awoke and said, I just want to get better with my Hebrew. So there the Hebrew words are. We are when I said Torah earlier, I know that there were a few of you that were saying, oh, I just want to say Torah, right? Right. So go ahead, say it, Torah. Oh, come on, with a little more conviction. Torah. Oh, yes, isn't that good? And then shalom. Now, actually, shalom is the, the third one down, eth, shalom. But that's a great word, too. Shalom, go ahead. Oh, wonderful. Now, the middle one is the word, and this is your vocabulary word for today. It is the word for dreams. And those of you who have had German, you get that little guttural sound. Oh, good, yes. Get that little guttural sound. Shalom. Shalom. Can you do it? Oh, wow. You guys are great. This is wonderful. Doesn't that really be thrilling? Dreams. Shalom. Got it? Now, that has nothing to do with the story. So, Joseph... Here's Pharaoh ask him to interpret the dream. Pharaoh recounts his dreams, and then as you well know, Joseph comes back with that understanding of seven years of feast and then seven years of famine. As I initially pondered this morning's passage afresh, I was struck by Joseph's candor, his his forthright honesty, both about himself and about the sovereignty of the Lord our God. And I thought for a moment that we would really focus on verse 16. But then I found my heart and mind going in a different direction to give thought to the reality of dreams. The reality of dreams. Joseph's dreams, the cupbearers and bakers' dreams, Pharaoh's dreams. With all four individuals, they implicitly assumed that dreams were a medium of communication. They believed that their dreams contained, if you will, divine messages. Generally, as one influenced by Western, enlightened, Freudian psychology, I too believe that dreams contain messages. But fundamentally, messages about the self. And so my dreams are, are about me. Infrequently now, but there was a time when I was not far removed from the corridors of academia. There was a time when I would have a recurring dream. I was seated in a calculus class. I had never attended the class. I was then handed the final exam. I've never had calculus in my life. It was obvious. I was going to fail absolutely. Upon awakening from this dream and over the years, its iterations, I eventually learned to ask, okay, Stan, 
What is it that you're not facing? Or what is it that you are facing that you fear that you will fail? Absolutely. Often this question has been very helpful to me. But as I have recently pondered Joseph's experience, I was arrested by this obvious observation. Joseph and those about him believed that dreams were a form of God's communication to and with them. This observation then led me to ask, just how do I expect expectations? Just how do I expect God, the creator of the universe, to communicate to and with me? In response to this question, I was first reminded of Joan of Arc. That is, Joan of Arc in the play written by George Bernard Shaw. And you probably might remember that Shaw was no protagonist of the Christian faith. But in his play, Joan of Arc, when Joan is being accused of being mad because she said that God spoke to her, Shaw then has Joan of Arc reply, well, how else do you expect God to communicate to me? except through my mind. Hmm. How else? Indeed. And then my mind turned to that wonderful insight of C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pains. It, pain, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I wonder this morning, how do you expect the God and Father of our Lord Jesus to communicate with or to you? Or even, do you have any expectations at all that he might seek a word with you? Admittedly, I'm not advocating that you begin to chronicle your dreams or the dreams of anyone else as a word from our Lord. And Jerry warned me about propagating any heresy. And yet, I ask again, do you expect 
our Lord to communicate with you? And if so, how? By a bumper sticker? By a dream? By the lyrics of a song? By a text or a tweet? A child's comment? The scriptures? Closeted prayer? And one who strongly advocates the importance, the discipline of daily scripture meditation and prayer. Discipline. We say we're disciples. That implies discipline. But I must be honest as well. Even with such a discipline, I recognize in my own life that far too often I do not expect to hear, to receive a word from our Lord. Returning to C.S. Lewis, may you and I not fall subject to only hearing our Lord through the megaphone of pain. Rather, may we hear him speak and or whisper to us in any form that might accommodate our limitations, expectations. What do you expect? Are you listening? For in truth, the Word became flesh and is alive, and He is actively communicating. What do you expect? Are you listening? Please. Let's pray. Let's communicate. Living Lord, we are grateful, truly thankful that you are the great communicator. That, in fact, communication comes from you. You are the source. It was your idea. And if we ponder it, we 